sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He, the part that stood out to me was, He is our guide and friend. To us He'll condescend. His love shall never end. An amazing blessing. He has condescended to us. A little bit of what I want to talk about this morning, but uh, before we get started, um, I got asked a little bit last minute to take over for Larry, so I feel a little bit um, unprepared. Um, But I do think we should spend some time in prayer. There's many things to pray about. Um, People that are sick, and think especially of uh, the Kaufman family as they're mourning the loss of their daughter. And um, there's something else I thought of earlier, but now I can't remember what it was. But I'm sure there's many things to pray about, so I don't know if we could all stand again and um, if I could have two or three brothers lead out to look to you and to uh, grow in their relationship with you. Pray you bless our remainder of our service and be with us. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. You be seated. <clears throat> this morning I want to talk. Um, when Larry asked me, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to take that on or not, but... Um, God had, I had been meditating on something, um, a couple different things kind of that went together, uh, some messages I heard and something I've been reading. So it's, um, I have a fair amount of notes and I'll try not to just sit here and read, but um, it might be easy to do with, do tonight. But uh, back in March I talked, I preached about brokenness, I think it was for an opening, and I spoke on um, my points for what is brokenness and why do we need to be broken and how um, brokenness is revival. And then my last point was our yieldedness to God is measured by our yieldedness to man. And I um, kind of off that I was going to move on to um, our yieldedness to man, I guess. And so I named uh, the message The Low Road of Servitude. <clears throat> and then the uh, subtitle is Are You Willing to Be a Servant? Um, so if we turn to Philippians 2, I'll read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, 
that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took him took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things on earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I think we all know this verse, or these verses, and they're very familiar to us. Um, But I wonder how often we've really let these verses and the power of them sink into our hearts. Um, Especially verse 6, or 5, 6, and 7 would be kind of what I want to focus on there. Let this mind be in you. So this is something that we need in our lives because it's the example that Christ left us. And it says, Who, or Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So he was equal with God. He had that same, he was the same. He's part of the Trinity. He, he is God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. This is the pattern we are to pattern ourselves after. Are we willing to forsake our reputation if necessary and to humble ourselves and become obedient even unto death? Even a shameful death as Christ died. He died a very, uh, the death of a, of a criminal. It was humiliating. And why was he doing this? To save us. It was for others. It was... Uh, he was obedient unto death so that we could have salvation. What if God is asking you to give your life, your reputation, to rescue others, to actually give life and to actually impart the realities of Christ to others? Would you be willing to humble yourself to that. That's what he did. I think that's what he does call us to, to die daily in our everyday circumstances. Sometimes that's almost probably harder than, can I say, the hero, the hero that dies to save somebody, to die daily to um, uh, our, our wants and our, our will and to serve others. I did appreciate how the opening went along with my message because Joseph, in reality, if you look through his life, he was a servant the whole time and he had a true servant's heart. Christ came and 
demonstrated in humility how man ought to live. What we see in the life of Jesus is everything that God wants and desires to see in our lives as well. And he's given us the power to do it. God wants us to live our lives in such a way where we are bent, where we are not thinking highly of ourselves. I guess for bent, I'd say broken. Um, we, are th- we are thinking highly of him. He is the one who has accomplished the good deed, and we are the ones that participate in his work. And we are humbled to be a part of it. He has condescended to wash our feet. How much more should we give up the position we have to wash the feet of those around us. So in light of washing Jesus washing feet, I want to read that account. It's in John 13. <clears throat> John 13, uh, 3 through 5, and then I'm going to jump down to 12. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took the towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Moving down to verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye not, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily I verily I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. One of the things that stood out to me as I was reading this little account here was um, verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand. He He knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the Son of God, and he had all power, and he had come from God, and he was going to God. He was the all-powerful one, and he knew it. And yet, he takes up the basin and the towel and goes and washes his disciples' feet and um, even washes the one that would betray him. He even washes Judas' feet. From as far as I can tell, I guess they'd say that specifically, but he says he washes the disciples' feet. Judas hadn't gone out at that time. So, And then in verse, the second section there in verse 12 through 17, He says, you call, me Lord and master, you call me Master and Lord, and so, and you say, well, for so I am. Again, he's recognizing that he is God, but then he says, uh, he's the Lord of all, but he's also the servant of all. And how much more are we to do the same to those around us? To serve them, to, I guess, not just specifically wash their feet, I'm talking... This, this account is specifically about that, but I'd say just in small serving ways to help others or to encourage them or to come alongside them. 
to do the lowliest of tasks. Um, and he did the lowliest of tasks, and we're to do the same. And I, I think the verse 17 sums it up. Um, or an amazing promise that says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Most people don't think of slaves or servants as happy. But he says, if you're the servant of all like I am, happy are ye if you do them. <clears throat> so to be, a, to be a servant, I want to look a little bit at humility because that would be a big part of it. Um, so humility is required to be a servant. And for that, I want to turn to James 4. James 4, 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. As we read through scripture, we see that God's entire system, if you want to call it that, is built to push back the proud. He can't bless the proud and he can't prosper the proud. He can only prosper the humble. And it says he gives more grace. Uh, I think it's in here. It's more grace. Somewhere there's more grace to the humble. And grace is the enabling power of God. That that work of God on our behalf. Um and that's what we need to be men and women of God. We need um, God laboring in our behalf. It's nothing that we can do. And the reason for God laboring on our behalf is so that we can labor for others. So another uh, point I have is what it means to be a servant. In the scriptures, it's very clear in the New Testament, we are called to be servants. I read some of those, um, and I think it's interesting. A lot of the apostles, when they're writing their letters, they say the servant of, of our Lord or of Jesus Christ. Um, we're called to be servants, and it's not something we can choose to take up or not. It's not optional. It's the very heart of the new covenant to be a servant. And we understand the humbling and self-emptying that is involved in really being a servant. Um, it only it only becomes evident that it becomes evident that only those who are prepared to live under the shadow of Calvary and the cross, um, ever contemplating the humility and brokenness of the Lord. So, constantly thinking about the brokenness, constantly thinking about Christ and the brokenness that brings and repentance it brings um, of Jesus being broken for us, will we, be, will we be able to be in that position of brokenness and humility to be a servant?
So as we look at being a servant and its personal application to our lives, um, there are three preliminary things which need to be said to prepare us to understand how low and humbling a position, position he, which he wants us to take. So um, there were two different types of servants in the Bible. I thought this was a very interesting point. Um, there were the hired servants, which had rights and got paid wages, and basically, I guess I'd say they were more like employees. Um, and then there were bond servants or slaves. Um, and I didn't go into a lot of study on this aspect. I just did a little, um, little bit of it. But the bond servants had no rights. And from from what I a little little bit of the study I did. Um, I think the Israelites were supposed to release their slaves after seven years, I think it was, unless the servant went to his master and said he wanted to be a bondservant. And then he was, for the rest of his life, he was his servant. Um, so, and a bondservant didn't receive wages, and he had no, no appeal or no rights of his own. It was all about serving his master. And when we look at the New Testament, the word in Greek for servant, when it talks about Christ being a servant or the, ser- the type of servant it mentions a lot, is, is not the hired, the word for the hired servant. It's the word for the bond servant. Um, and I think that's meant to show that our position is one where we have no rights and no appeal. We are the absolute property of our master to be treated and disposed of just as he wishes. That was a sobering, sobering statement there, if we really stop to think about it. But also, it's very freeing because it's not anything that we can do or what anything we have in and of ourselves. It's all about what the master has us do. So... um, we are to be the bondservants of one who was himself willing to be a bondservant. Going back to uh, Philippians there, Philippians 2, just the 6 through 7. Um, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found... Uh, that's where I want to stop. Nothing shows better the amazing humility of our Lord Jesus, whose servants we are to be, than that, though he was in the form of God, he counted it not as a prize or uh, equal, I guess, with God, to be on the same plane as God, but he emptied himself. He, it says he did it himself. He made himself of no reputation. Um, and then it uses that word, that Greek word, for servant or bond servant. So he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bond servant. So he had no rights, willing to be treated as the will of at the will of the Father, and the malice of man might decree, if only he might thereby serve man and bring them back to God. So if Christ is our example, you and I are to be the bond servants of his of him who was and always is the bondservant whose disposition is ever that of humility and whose activity is ever that of humbling himself to serve his creatures, how utterly low then is our true position. 
how this shows us what it means to be ruled by the Lord Jesus. Just um, if Christ would humble, if God would humble Himself to that degree and uh, come down and be a bond servant, so that He can um, bring us back to God, then how much more? How can I say lower of a position do we have? How we? I don't know. We just sometimes get. Um, pretty full of ourselves, I guess, at least I do. Um, we can think a lot of ourselves and what we've done or how we've done this or things like that, but if if our attitude is really that of humbly trying to serve those around us and showing, showing them the love of Christ, if he loved us enough to take himself that low, how much more should we do? So this is the point that uh, probably I was trying to get to because of uh, this is what the Lord's been speaking to me. Our servant, our servanthood to the Lord Jesus is to express itself in our servanthood to our fellows. Um, in Second Corinthians four five, for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves our servants for Jesus' sake. So how much our servanthood that we um, have to the Lord is expressed and can I say the rubber meets the road is, is where how much of a servant we are to others. How much dying to ourselves and caring for others we do. Um, the low position we take toward the Lord Jesus is judged by him by the low position we take in our relationship with our fellow man. An unwillingness to serve others in costly, humbling ways he takes to be an unwillingness to serve him, and we thus put ourselves out of fellowship with him. When I uh, read that uh, the other day, I was struck. Our unwillingness to serve others in costly, humbling ways he takes to be an unwillingness to serve him. But that's not where he stops. He says, to... And we thus put ourselves out of fellowship with him, out of fellowship with God. We, we want fellowship with God, but if we do not serve others, we're putting ourselves out of fellowship with God. So if we are to be bondservants, what are the marks of a bondservant? I have five marks of a bondservant. I want to turn to Luke 17. 7 through 10. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready, wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, 
say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So there's five, five marks of the bondservant um, that are in here. First, uh, he must be willing to, be, to have one thing on top of another put upon him without consideration being given to him. Here we see he's out plowing and feeding cattle, and then he's told to go and prepare a meal and then serve, and then, then he can go eat and drink. So he was the servant, many things were laid upon him uh, bef- before he could look after or look to his own needs. Um, Another thing I see in that part of it is he just went and did it, expecting nothing else. That was his place as a servant. He was supposed to do those things. How unwilling we are for this, and how quickly there are murmurings and bitterness in our hearts when that sort of thing is expected of us. But the moment we start murmuring and are acting as if we have rights, we aren't a bondservant anymore. We think we have any rights or if we think we have rights. So my point one was, he must be willing to have one thing on top of another laid upon him without consideration being given him. Then my second point is, in doing this, he must be willing not to be thanked for it. So in doing the things he does, he must be willing not to be thanked for it. Um, It doesn't even say his master thanked him. He just went and did it. Um, how often when we serve others do we fall into the trap of self-pity? I mean, we might, not, we might not make them say thank you if you want to say that. But in our hearts, we complain and kind of go into self-pity that they didn't notice what we did or um, they didn't care for what we did. But a bondservant must be willing for that. A hired servant may expect something, but a bondservant can't. He's called to serve, no matter if he gets thanked or not. And so my third point is, having done all this, he must not charge the other with selfishness if, he doesn't, if he's not thanked. As you read this passage, you can't help but feel for the servant. Um, the master's rather selfish and inconsiderate, really. Um, you know, he... He's out working all day, working hard, and then he's told to uh, make ready a meal and serve him, serve the master. But there's no such charge from the servant in here. The servant uh, the servant doesn't charge the master with selfishness or being inconsiderate. He exists solely to serve the interests of his master. And the selfishness or otherwise of his master doesn't come, doesn't even come into the picture with him. It's just a matter of course. So how about us? We can let ourselves be uh, put upon or do things. People ask us to do things and um, we're perhaps willing not to be thanked for what we do, um, but we can charge the other person in our minds with selfishness. They ask to do this, and they don't know how hard that is for me. 
But that's not the place of a bondservant. He's defined in the selfishness of others, but a further opportunity to identify himself afresh with his Lord as a servant of all. I found that a little bit hard to swallow, that we're supposed to find in the selfishness of others, but a further opportunity to identify with Christ. So my fourth point is having, having done all that, there's no grounds for pride or self-congratulation. So this servant worked a long day and then prepared a meal and served his master. Um, but he didn't have any, he didn't ask to be thanked. He didn't think he'd done anything extraordinary. Um, and we must confess that we are but unprof- unprofitable servants. That we are really of no u- real use to God in and of ourselves. And we must confess, as it says, um, that in us, that is in our flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. And having acted as a humble servant... Um, It's no thanks to us whose hearts are naturally proud and stubborn, but only to the Lord Jesus who dwells in us and works through us. And that's where I think it says uh, in verse 10, "When when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. It's just our duty. It's nothing extraordinary or... Um, can I even say really worthy of thanks it's just what we're called to do just to serve so the last mark of a bond servant is um, the admission that doing and bearing what we have in the way of meekness and humility we have not done one stitch more than it is our duty to do God made us in the first place, simply so we could be his bondservants, we could glorify him, we could do his will. And man, man's sin simply consists of our refusal um, to be God's bondservants, to die to ourselves and to be humble. It's the proud heart rising up. So restoration in, in Christ is basically just being restored to the place of a bondservant. Skin, and they let a f- they let this certain fly on the cheese, and it lays. I think each fly lays five hundred eggs approximately in the cheese, and then they let it sit on the shelf for I think it's like a month. And by the time it's done, these these maggots it's just crawling with maggots, and it turns this gooey mess, and it's it's this delicacy, and so that all revolts our stomach. I mean, they had all these details like some people. The, the, the maggots can jump six inches off of the plate. And so some people will hold their hand over it before they bring it to their mouth so they don't get hit by the maggots. And I was thinking of this way of humility. And, you know, we think about that, that turns our stomach. And, but over there, that's a delicacy. That's, 
that's something good. And to us, it turns our stomach, but uh, if we think about the way of humility and being a servant, really that's the direct opposite of our, can I say, our carnal man. Our carnal man is uh, tends towards, well, it's, it is proudful, it's uh, prideful. Um, and it wants its own way, and it's self-seeking, and all that. And the Lord has to change our appetite, really, to to want the way of humility and to be want to be a servant. It's something in our carnal flesh that, can I say, turns our stomach. It's it's the katsu marzu um, to to us. But once we are renewed and God is living in us. Um, he He changes our appetite, and the things that look um, look hard or look um, look disgusting or gross to us um, really become. Can I say the delicacy? Being a servant becomes our goal. Being lowly is what we strive for, when that's the opposite of what our carnal man is. Um, before, humili- before we were born again, humility was an unwelcome intruder to be put upon us only on occasion, but now it has become the spouse of our souls to whom we have wedded ourselves forever. If darkness and unrest enter our souls, uh, it's only because something on some point um, where you've been unwilling to walk with humility um, in paths of meekness and brokenness. But humility is ever ready to welcome us back um, and to seek her face in repentance. And so that brings me to the last, or to my last point, but the all-important matter of repentance. Um, I don't, we can't be a servant and be humble without repentance. Uh, we shall not enter into more abundant life merely by resolving what we shall, that we shall be humbler in the future. Our, our, own, um, our own strivings cannot make us more humble. It can't bring about uh, humility. We can't bring about humility in ourselves. There are attitudes and actions which we have already taken and are still being persisted in, um, if, if it's only even for our unwillingness to about, apologize for them, that for, must first be repented of. The Lord Jesus didn't take on the form of a bondservant only to be an example for us. That was one reason, but he also took on the form of a bondservant um, so that he could die for the very sins, for our very sins, upon the cross and open a fountain wherein his precious blood, they can all be washed away. But that blood cannot be applied to the sins of our proud hearts until we have been broken and repented. So I guess in closing, I might uh, just read a little section. Um, 
This will mean allowing the light of God to go through every part of our hearts and into every one of our relationships. It will mean that we shall have to see that the sins of pride, which is the antithesis of being a bondservant, is the very thing that made it necessary for Jesus to come from heaven and die on the cross, that they might be forgiven. It will mean not only asking him to forgive us, but asking others too. And that will be humbling indeed. And then lastly, as we crawl through the door of brokenness, because nobody walks through the door of brokenness, um, we shall emerge into the light and glory of the highway of holiness, humility, and servanthood.